This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. USDA done an awful thing by taking land from uh, black farmers. So can, can I ask, how, yeah. how do they take away, when you say they take away the land, by what right are, are they able to do that? They foreclosed to me illegally through the county committee system. Well, but based on what? I mean, did you owe them money that you couldn't pay or how do they decide? You can't foreclose on somebody if you don't owe money, right? Let me try to break it down for sure. you. Sure. Coming up in this episode of Colors. Blacks have made a, the greatest effort of any group I know of in, in all of history to overcome what is arguably the, the most profound oppression in human history. Shelby Steele, a black conservative author, columnist, and documentary filmmaker, says African-Americans need to stop complaining about racism. I mean, it is amazing and for to sit and, and look under leaves to try to find some faint hint of of racism is well i'm gonna be honest with you you are people who do that are betraying their race there are some things we agree on but there are some things we disagree on and you will hear it all that's coming up in this episode of colors simmering racial tensions segregation now and tomorrow and forever fighting injustice i have a dream conflict looming brutality Exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. J.J. Green, and I'm black. I'm Chris Core, and I'm white. And this is Colors. J.J., our guest today is Dr. Shelby Steele. He is a longtime commentator on race in America. He's a senior fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution, and we're delighted to have him on the program. And I'll, I'll tell you why, Dr. Steele, I really wanted to get you on. I read the piece that was in the Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago, in which you are quoted as saying that America has made more moral progress in the last 60 years regarding race than any nation, country, or civilization in history. What I liked about that is so much of our podcast that we've been doing since uh, around Memorial Day has been very much the opposite, saying that things have gotten worse, saying that, uh, and, and this, of course, is because of the George Floyd murder. Um, so maybe this is a way to say, okay, all that's true, but. So can you give us some explanation and background of, of, of what progress we've made in the last 60 years in this country? Well, um, I confess to being old enough to remember what America was like long before the 60s. Um, I grew up um, in the 50s and the 60s. My parents were deeply involved in the civil rights movement. They met and married as founding members of of CORE in uh, 1944 in Chicago. 
Uh, so I grew up as what they used to call a core baby. <laughs> um, so I had a lot of a lot of experience and exposure to um, the the whole matter of race um, was f- from being on demonstrations to uh, thinking about it later on in high school and so forth, beginning to write about it and and so forth. So my sense is uh, the civil rights victory, civil rights bill sixty four was uh, a, a much more profound event than we realized. And I won't, I won't get sidetracked and go into uh, to all of that. But uh, the, when I was growing up, race was not a moral issue. It was an issue that it was just simply a part of everyday life. People would, would uh, talk to you in a sort of benign way and say that, you know, segregation was God's will and that we people wanted to live with their own kind. And what, what in the world's wrong with that? Um, there was this sort of matter of fact, concrete way we all have always lived. The civil rights movement has one great victory. It made race a moral issue. And it could not, never be approached again. Uh, it was President Kennedy who said race is a moral issue. Never could be pro- approached as, as anything less than that again. And we, we still struggle with it, um, with it on those terms. We, we started uh, to make the change in 64 with, with that, the passage of the Civil Rights Bill, which says it's against the law to discriminate against anybody. Um, what it what strikes me is as I was a teenager when that bill passed, um, I didn't believe it. None of my friends believed. Uh, we, we believe we just thought it was public relations. We never thought segregation would lead. Um, racism was just it was so common. Uh, my history professor, Dr. Franklin in college, said to me that. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, but I just don't believe uh, colleges and universities ought to be sp- spending their, their resources uh, educating minor uh, black people. Um, and he thought I should, of course, understand that. That's where, where we started. But then all sorts of things began to happen in American life. The black power movement, certainly the women's movement, Vietnam, all big moral, a moral revolution occurred. And, you know, year by year since that time, America has struggled to redeem itself of its racist past. It is super sensitive about what racism uh, is and how dangerous it is. We have in this society just just completely turned around. I won't say there's absolutely no racism. There is there is and some of it's very subtle. Um, but today, black Americans are faced with, with something we've never been faced with before. That is not only the, the fr- freedom that we never had, but the goodwill of the American people. The American people want us to do well, to overcome all of the problems of underdevelopment that four centuries of oppression left us with. Mm-hmm. The country is rooting for us. They're not discriminating against us. They're not trying to keep us down. 
You can do it. You can. You, as I say in that piece, you are much more likely to run into a racial preference than you are a d- racial discrimination. So this is a new variable that we somehow refuse to take into account as we think about race today. But it's the overwhelming variable. Okay. Freedom. Dr. Steele. I think a good bit of the the problem we have with with freedom is that it's frightening. It scares you. Human beings, it's not easy to be free. A lot of things that you could take for granted before you can't, once you are free, you become responsible for them. Dr. Steele. And um, in order to hide from that responsibility or to avoid it, which also is very natural and human, um, we say racism is still here. We, we even lavishly invent, um, reinvent racism. Now it's systemic racism. It's, you know. Uh, so, Dr. Steele, I'm sorry to interrupt, sir, but I see some of this a little differently. And I'm wondering if you'll indulge me to throw a couple of things at you. In the last few years, I have seen a number of situations in the rural place in Virginia where I grew up um, that essentially was very similar to to the way it was back in the the late 60s, mid to late 60s. Confederate flags, um, separation of... uh, the races in in a number of different ways, people saying and doing things that are hurtful. Uh, And, you know, this idea that racism is, is, has improved to some people, they just don't see that. What do you say to those who say to you, well, my experience is different. And what do you say to those people who see what has taken place in the last few years with the with the resurgence of organizations that have outwardly said they do believe in the separation or the the superiority of one race over another? Well, the first thing I'm going to do is calm down, because <laughs> um, I, I I understand your questions and I want to I want to um, treat them carefully. Um, but you're, you're talking to somebody who grew up when segregation was really real. Um, when I couldn't get a job in high school, I couldn't. My father was uh, I, you, you can imagine what it was like for black on the south side of Chicago in the 1930s and 40s. Uh, the kind of limitations on life, the, the, the re- every single area of life you were discriminated against. Uh, and and so we were we were under a a, a literal oppression, um, and the and and squeezed off into a separate world where where we were sort of uh, fenced in, never allowed to come out. Um, and, and when I hear students today talk about, you know, some certain phrases are are hurtful. That's just such a luxurious phrase to me. <laughs> uh, you know, that's not the we, we didn't we, we could never have been that sensitive. If we would, we wouldn't have survived. Um, so what is what is fascinating is that. And here's 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 the the main point Shelby Steele wants to make. There's going to be racism, there's going to be ugliness in this in the human condition forevermore. 
It's never going to be perfect. We fight, we struggle, we want it to be perfect. We want to make a right effort. We want people to understand. Blacks have made a, the greatest effort of any group I know of in, in all of history to overcome what is arguably the most profound oppression in human history, four centuries of it. We've done that. Um, we have won over society. They are with us. They understand how horrible that oppression was. They want us to overcome it. They want us to do well. I'm going to take a call after this meeting with, with a, a, a CEO of a company who's doing it. He's ringing, tearing his head. Excuse me, his hair out trying to find ways to to make his company more diverse and so forth. That's America. I mean, it is amazing. And for to sit and and look under leaves to try to find some faint hint of racism is well. I'm going to be honest with you. You are people who do that are betraying their race. So that's you, not what we're at anymore. We did that. So would you suggest we won that civil, that's, we won freedom? We won the civil rights movement. So that's that's what you. What I, what I want to see is us pick up the theme of development. We are behind every other group in American life by almost every socioeconomic measure. So that's by, not racism. So by that's us. So by addressing that's us. So by addressing and asking these questions, do you think that that's wrong? By, what's wrong? By asking you to clarify the difference between what people's experiences are today compared to yours. Um, do you think that is looking under leaves? Is that what you're saying? Or are you talking? I'm, uh, here's what I'm saying. If you know my work, you know, we came into as blacks, we came into a situation in the 60s where our victimization, because America men, wanted to reform, wanted to redeem itself. We came into a situation where our victimization won us things. Mm -hmm. We move ahead on the power that comes out of our history of victimization in America. The fact that this society feels as though it owes us something. That's our power. And so what, do, what we do is inflate victimization mm -hmm. so as to gain more power. The problem with that is 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 uh, um, uh, the problem with that is is one thing. Then you become a victim. You think like a victim. You look under rocks to find evidence of your victimization. <laughs> you say your thing says that you're triggered. This is hurtful. Oh my God! You get a little little weak. This is you. You think black people got to this place by. <laughs> After through four centuries of oppression, being worrying about somebody saying something hurtful. You know, what what it is time for us to do is stand up and face our real problem, which is underdevelopment, under educate, lack of education, uh, a, a fractured, broken black family in America. The the an under black underclass in America. You can cry the blues, you can protest all you want. And you can build the case and challenge people like me all you want. Uh, and I, I can tell you that it won't matter uh, until we take responsibility for our own development. 
The world is wide open to us. Mm-hmm. And for us to spend one more moment pleading, the kid, look at the, you know, protesting. Protesting is, is obsolete. It's not useful anymore. It's a waste of time. We protested all last summer, burn up one city after another. Uh, what did we get? Did that repair the black family? Did that repair the school systems that, that, that betray us all the time? I don't think so. Well, if it did, if there's if there's one thing it did do, um, and I respect what you're saying, Dr. Steele, and, and very much appreciate your candor. But, you know, when you say that there that that discrimination or race, racism or prejudice will never go away, that's probably sadly is true. But we've rarely seen it. Then in let's the start there. I'm sorry. Then let us start there. If it's true, let us start there. Let's get real. There may be some some racism and prejudice in the world. We want to continue to monitor it, fight against it in every way, punish it severely. Well, I, th- I think that's, our, we have a that's, what we you know, that's like on. saying that I have a, a you know a a corn on my toe, um, it, it, yet I'm I'm dying from cancer. I want us to address the cancer part of it, not the toe. <laughs> Doctor Steele, you are a bad man, Muhammad Ali. Well, and you know what? It takes look, a long time to get to get clear. No, I, <laughs> no wait, just, hold on a second. You're I've not, worn every you're mask not, you can wear. You're not as old as you're trying to make this out to be. You know, <laughs> I grew up in the 60s, okay? I grew up the son of a sharecropper in Virginia, and I understand what you're talking about. And mm-hmm. uh, I, as Chris said, I do appreciate your your willingness to mix it up on this. You know, that's what this program is about. We, you know, this is not about kumbaya here. This is about let's do what we got to do to get to where we need to be and to go. We may may disagree on how to get there, but I thank God for the opportunity to to engage with a brother like you who's going to say some stuff that's different from what I think, you know, and is, is proud to do that. So um, I, I meant that when I said you're a bad man. You are. In a very good way. It's best I can do. <laughs> well, I'd like to just address one last um, thing, or however long we want to talk, because I know you have another uh, call, Dr. Steele. But you said something about the protesting and stuff, and we did that, and it's all over and doesn't do anything. I, I'd have to say, um, I, I'm the white guy. I, I think that it did. And I think the reason is because we saw the video of George Floyd being murdered by a police officer. And I think I. There seemed to be no other reason other than he was a black guy that was being discriminated against by a bad police officer. You say seemed to be. Well, do you see it? Did you see that differently than I did or J.J. did? I doubt it. Uh, I saw it as maybe the most the cruelest thing I've ever seen. Right. And I that's a long way from saying that 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 therefore that's evidence that America is still mired in racism. Well, it's, um, it's, it, it's it isn't. It's um, but the, it, but the it protest... is. Let me, let me inject one last point to okay. to to be clear here. I think the overriding problem today is white guilt, and I think whites see something like that and just go hysterical because it it what what is white guilt? White guilt is living under the terror that you will be seen as a racist, and it's a terror. You know, a white person seen as a racist today is simply finished. 
banished. That that is what that is what white guilt is. And so to escape that terror, to deal with that terror, what whites very often do is come up with social programs. Lyndon Johnson started back in the 60s, the war on poverty, school busing, uh, public housing, uh, you name it, affirmative action. All these programs that that were that seemed to be designed to help blacks lift them up. 60 years later, blacks are farther behind whites than than they were back in the 50s and the 60s. It was a it was a complete failure. Liberalism was a complete total, not just a failure. It was an oppression because it communicated to blacks that you really are inferior. Everything we do for you, you it, nothing works. Um, yeah. And so, we, you know, you. You, you come back to this, this place where white America has created, generated racial reforms that prove its innocence, demonstrate its innocence, advertise its innocence of racism and of America's evil past, and does absolutely nothing to lift up blacks. We're lost. We're out here thinking the thing to do is get a picket sign and, and, or, or an Antifa or something and, and throw a little cherry bomb around and protest. And yet there we are, languishing year in and year out, never getting anywhere. Well, I will um, say this. What's the solution? The solution is for uh, is for one thing for for everybody to find some enough courage to face the truth. Whites need to f- grow up now. Uh, yes, your race was historically associated with an inconceivable evil. That obviously doesn't that that should make you hypersensitive to ever making those mistakes again. And then you should move on. We have to move on. We blacks have to stop wasting time protesting. There's nothing left to protest. We need to take response, go to school, develop some skills. If you're going to have a family, be serious about it. Uh, Study it, think about it, learn, join the modern world. Don't hate America, love America. This is the freest land in the history of the world. People will do anything to get here. We're here and we're talking about hurtful words. That's a people who are afraid to face the challenge that history is given to them. The pretty 90% eradication of discrimination. You can go out and become anything you want now, including the president. CEO, large corporate, you can do anything now. You got one job. Get busy and do it. No more excuses. Stop using. It, it's, a, it's a, as a black, as a proud black, proud of my people who survived this long through all this, this living hell, that you come to this place where you finally get the fruit of their struggle. And you talk about rather than developing yourself, you talk about hurtful words. Give me a break. Okay. That's a that's a that's a that's a contradic a, a shameful contradiction that I can guarantee you will catch up with us. That is why there is a beginning, 
a beginning crack in the cement of black protest by black conservatives. Because these are people who realize the old game took us for fools. We're sitting here worrying about being triggered and what white people think and all this sort of touchy feely stuff. Okay. Rather than asking from our people that they take individual responsibility and move forward. Okay. Dr. Steele, I want to say thank you. Um, I disagree with a lot of what you say, but I can't disagree with why you say it. And I can't disagree with your work, what you've done, your accomplishments. Uh, There's one thing I do agree on, um, and that is we do need to move on. You know, I think some of the things we do in the process of moving on are different from what you think. But I do I do agree. We've all got to move on. We've all got to get past this ridiculous uh, situation that's been unfolding where, you know, we don't seem to make any progress, you know, and the victimization. Yeah, that's a problem, too. Um, and um, so I'm grateful that you took time to talk to us today. And um, I appreciate your tolerating my disagreement with you. Ooh. I, I, and I have to say, just as, as listening to both of you, and it's one of the most interesting conversations we have ever had, and we've done about 40 of these podcasts. So this this goes in the Hall of Fame, Dr. Steele. Thank you. <laughs> Not because of me. <laughs> no, no, man. I'll tell you that this is what this whole thing is about. Yeah. You know, we, we got to talk to each other. We say that every week, JJ. We got to talk to each other. Well, you're correct about that, my friend. Dr. Steele, <laughs> it is a true pleasure to have done this. And I hope, I hope you'll consider joining us again. I mean, sure, I, sure, I'd be, I'd be happy to. I, I, I want you to understand. I, I appreciate you inviting me, giving me a chance to, to talk. And when I get invited, I, I pull no punches. I sort of no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a good. I mean, that's, the, you know, that's the whole thing about this. And I'll just say this and, and be quiet. We we don't, this is not, like I said, this is not a kumbaya thing. You know, we do what we have to do. We say what happens. I know you say. see, I believe in you more than you believe in yourself. No, 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 no. But you do. You will change. You will grow. You will face these things. You will talk about these things. You, you, you will absorb them. Yeah. They'll become a part of who you are. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, again, thank you. I appreciate you. Well, thank you. You're listening to Colors. My name is Anjali Chong, and I am Korean-American living just outside of Seattle, Washington. I was born in Seoul, South Korea, and my family immigrated to Hawaii when I was a little girl. We were part of the wave that arrived through family reunification, or more recently coined as chain migration. Growing up in multicultural Hawaii, I felt very comfortable in my own skin and never had to defend my presence here in this country. Lately, that's changed. It has been heartbreaking to see the surge in violence and hate crimes towards Asians and Asian Pacific Islanders, which was already on the rise last year due in large part to the normalization of racist rhetoric from our country's leadership. This community quickly became scapegoats for a global pandemic. In the last year, I have personally experienced mockery towards me and my children by a stranger and other microaggressions for no apparent reason other than our race. The question I always ask myself when I hear about these incidents, which is happening far more often these days, is why? Whether it be misperception, fear, hate, 
confusion, this pattern of Asians being the forever foreigner or threat is hurtful. It also negates the contributions that the API population has made over the decades. As we have seen, this racialized scapegoating is something that has been repeated in history and only harms communities. I am hopeful that our current president is addressing this issue and condemning anti-Asian racism, but we need to do more as a community at the grassroots level. It is my hope that we be better bystanders, report any hate incidents, be allies for one another, and figure out as a community how to combat the other virus of racism. We have to do better. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Well... As I said when he was on, uh, we've done about 40 of these podcasts, JJ, and Mr. Steele gave us, uh, Dr. Steele gave us a a, a different take on things. Um, And it was really interesting to hear because I will say that, you know, I I can hear it a little bit differently than you hear it probably. Um, When he said White Guilt, which is the name of a book that he wrote in 2006, yeah, I guess that's me. I guess I have that. I guess that's part of the the eye opening that has come from our doing these podcasts is that I do feel bad that somehow people my color did this to people your color and that's just wrong. So I, I understand his point about that. Um, however, I also I don't completely agree with the I what I tried to say to him is, you know, that all those demonstrations had an effect and the effect was. People have signs in the yard. Maybe you'd say that's silly. That say Black Lives Matter. I don't think it's silly. We have one in our yard. Um, I and the part of that is just to recognize when he's talked about looking under a rock. Um, that may have always been true. It just seems that uh, lately uh, those rocks have all gotten turned over, and there are some people who come out from under those rocks that before maybe we wonder that maybe it was always there, but it seems to be a lot more apparent to me now. And then part of that's probably doing this podcast with you. And part of it is just paying attention. Yeah. You know, I appreciate you um, pushing to get Dr. Steele on the show. And as I said, I disagree with him about a lot of things, well, Sure, um, but I agree with him um, on a couple of big things. And that is that we do have to move on. That's number one. And the number two thing is we can't spend our lives being the victim. Now, what I disagree, and I'll just be clear and short about this, is looking under leaves and looking under rocks um, to some people is, well, the bottom line is that's that's offensive sometimes, okay? Because um, a lot of people aren't looking under leaves or looking under rocks. They're under those leaves and under those rocks. And because, simply put, the hand that life's dealt them has put them under those leaves and under those rocks. He talked himself about where some of his struggles in his early, the early part of his life, and I've spoken to you on this program, uh, about times you know, earlier in my life and in other people's lives where, you know, we didn't have the resources that we have now. We didn't don't didn't have the degrees, the education that we have now. We didn't have the knowledge and didn't have the travels and the experiences and and all of the things, the money that we have now. So we were at the mercy of what we were uh, dealing with at the time, other people, other situations and other. So simply put, you can't dismiss those 
things that he says we look under leaves to find and look under rocks to find, because oftentimes we're not looking under those rocks or leaves. We're under them ourselves. And that's just a reality. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I just, uh, and, but I think what was interesting, it's, and, and uh, well, he's 75. So that's how old he is. Cause he was talking about uh, at his age. Um, but the fact that he grew up poor on the South side of Chicago and that he saw real discrimination back and everybody just took it for granted. Nothing was ever going to change. And then it did change. Uh, and so he sees an enormous change and he's also, uh, you know, of the, uh, it, it was fun to have him on because a lot of the people that we have on, um, you know, we don't really like to talk about their political uh, persuasions, but he was the first person to, he's obviously conservative. And for him to look at the same situation that we're all looking at every week and seeing it through a different lens because of his, um, let's call it political philosophy. And I just, you know, there's, we should do, that's fine. I mean, all this stuff is fine. All this is fair to talk about and all this is what we need to talk about if we're ever going to get anywhere. So I'm, I'm really glad we had him on. Um, He's, you know, the fact after we talked to him for just a bit, he said, okay, first thing I need to do is calm down. I'm like, Whoa, let's not get him too stirred up. But well, uh, I mean, he was refreshing. He's refreshing. And yeah, okay. I mean, it's good to have a black man on who is not going to say what you expect a black man to say, or people may even want a black man to say. Okay. And that's the bottom line. That's where he's coming from. It's like, no, I'm not going to go down that road. I'm not going to do that. And I respect him for that. I respect him for, you know, him saying, um, okay, um, I see all these issues. I, 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 I understand them. I feel them. I, I, I experience them. Um, but I am not going to go down the road you want me to go down uh, to get to where I think I want to go. And I'm not going to recommend you go that route either or the route that you're taking. Those of you that are out there protesting and, as he said, burning cities and this, that and the other other down uh, to get there. Um, there are others who might disagree with his route and where he wants us to go to get there, but we have to have the conversation to get there. I really think the only difference between him and me and some other people who may think uh, some things that are different from what he said is the way in which he delivers what he said. It's not that different. It's just, you know, he's a brand. He's got books. He's got uh, things that he's done over his lifetime that's, that, 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 that share processes and, sh- and share solutions and, that's what he's doing. You know, he's yeah, standing, I'll tell you, there's, he's, he's, there's he's, one other. He's he's standing on that work. And that is what essentially you hear from Shelby Steele. Yeah. Um, there's one other thing, too. And I do think and this is something that we've talked about. There is a difference where you grew up and he grew up in Chicago. Uh now, I've, I'm pretty familiar with Chicago and the south side of Chicago historically has always been uh, black. And I'm, I guarantee there was racism in Chicago. I saw some of it when I was younger, uh, when, you know, back in the 50s. when We used to go into Chicago because I lived not all that far away. Um, and then you grew up in the south. And I, there, I think there is a, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me there's just a, there's a cultural difference between the north and the south that's been there forever. And um that may that may contribute partly to how he looks at it compared to how you look at it. Well, maybe so. But the point that I'm making is there's no difference in the racism that he's talking about and the racism that I'm talking about and other people are talking about, you know, and you 
can't dismiss somebody. I mean, there's no point, you know, which is another thing he was saying. There's no point in comparing racism. It, racism is racism, you know? Mm-hmm. So there you go. There's nothing to compare. South side of Chicago or South side Virginia. Racism is racism. Well, I also think the fact that his background, his family, um, members of Congress on Racial Equality, which is core that he mentioned. Um, and I this did not come out in this, but I know that his mom uh, was white and his dad black. So there's the story that I believe I told on a previous podcast about his mom was wheeled in the maternity ward in Chicago to a hospital and she was taken into the maternity ward. And then um, her husband came in and they looked at her husband, who's black, and said, oh, oh, you've got to go. And they put her in the elevator and took him down to the, quote, colored maternity ward uh, because they didn't know when she came in that her husband was black. So, you know, his whole life, he is he is uh, he's walked a different line than um you know, than a lot of us have. And uh, anyway, I, I found him really interesting. I'm glad we had him on. Good. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. I'm Chris Core, and I'm white. And this is Colors. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. When we think about race relations in America, I mean, I hesitate to call it an awakening because we've been here before as a nation. Uh, The protests, the injustices, the brutality used to enforce it, the calls for reforms. Jamie Stockwell is a deputy editor with the New York Times National Desk. She also oversees a new newsletter called Race Related. The last summer, even to the giants of the civil rights era like John Lewis, they said it felt different, that there was something else going on. And I think what makes it a little bit different and what we try to capture in race related and in our coverage uh, in the pages and, and online of New York Times, is today we have a lot of young people who are more mindful and engaged in complex conversations about race, who have grown up online and on social media, and they have these platforms that are elevating messages in an entirely different way. And while reporting on all that, the New York Times, like most major news outlets in the country, is taking a hard look at how it's conducting itself when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Having these really thoughtful, difficult conversations about race and representation are really important, Uh, particularly when we look around our newsroom and when you look around other newsrooms across the country, that too few journalists of color are in position of authority. We also discuss the danger of seeking news that we want to hear as opposed to what's really happening. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. Time to go. And we want to thank Hillary Howard, Mike Jakaitis, Ari Isaacman, Bavakwa, Dimitri Sotis, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, Katie Musselman, Ann Kaur, Gina Bazemore, Sean Anderson, Peggy Byard, Jeru Bande, Jeffrey Marsher, Captain David Smith, Melissa Howell, Roz Whitaker-Heck, Earl Robinson, Ernie Green, and for the music, Jesse Gallagher and Cosmic and of Shane. And most of all, thank you for listening. And just remember, keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.